All right. So at the end of service, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have something special for our our folks who are active military, who are uh, veterans. And so if you think, oh my goodness, they forgot about Memorials Day today, we didn't. I promise you, um, we're we're gonna celebrate your service. And thank you not only for your service, but especially the families who've because Memorial Day uh, celebrates. Uh, those who have given their life in the, in the armed services. And so we're, we're going to honor them, and, but at the same time honor those who are active in military or have been in the past. And um, I want to ask you a question. Why do we honor and remember those folks? What, what's, what is the purpose of honoring those? And that's not uh, a, a sliding question. That's a serious question because... It, it, we, we will take Memorial Day a lot more seriously if we know the reason why we honor those who have given their lives. Why, do we, why would we honor those who are active in the Army, in the Navy, the Marines, the, uh, the Air Force, the Coast Guard? Why do we do that? It's important to understand, and, and I'll tell you, <laughs> the reason why we do it is because those guys, those women, are putting their life on the line for us to have our freedom. That's Kyle, it's going down. Even if it's staticky, it doesn't matter. Um, that's why we do it. They're putting their lives on the line for us to maintain our freedom. And that's why any country would celebrate their armed forces is because they're out there fighting the battles for us while we're having a good life. <laughs> that's why it's so important. Um, and it leads me to our theme today, which is if we don't fight, we're not going to have freedom. If we don't fight, we're not going to have freedom. Or put differently, to be free, we have to fight. And we don't just leave it on the shoulders of those on the front lines per se, or those who are active duty. I'm talking spiritually. If you want to be free in your life, if you want to have a free mind that's not subject to oppression, depression, um, just uh, addictions, you're going to have to fight because it doesn't happen automatically. you got to put up a fight if you're going to be free. All right? And we've got to get out of our chairs, so to speak. The Bible talks several times of people standing up you and I, we got to start standing up if we're going to be free. And that includes not just prayer and spiritual things. we got to go out and vote when it comes time to vote. You got it? And you don't vote along party lines or how your mommy or daddy voted. All right? You go out and you figure out who's against abortion, and you go vote for the person who's against abortion. All right? That's what you do. Is that, is that person going to be 100% in line with what you believe? No, of course not. You take the least worst person out there and vote for them. <laughs> That's what you're going to do. All right? Fight. Get involved. Do things physically. Do things spiritually. If you don't, you're going to lose your freedom. And I'm not just talking about the freedom that we're used to in this country. I'm talking about spiritual freedom, and that's where I'm headed today. I want you to look at... You're gonna, this is one of those services where you're going to be flipping around back and forth, so get ready and get your... Uh, as one guy said, let's turn in our iPhones to Galatians 5.1. It's the fastest way to get there nowadays. Galatians 5.1. It says, 
It is for, and these are fighting words, by the way. Read this as a, as a military person, as somebody who's ready to put up a fight. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that he has set us free. But here's what you got to do. Stand firm. You got to stand firm. What does a soldier do when they're in the middle of battle? They're not going to give up ground. If they can, they'll advance. But the thing they're not going to do is give up ground. They're going to stand firm. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Do not let it happen. You know what? Don't let lust overcome you. Just stand firm and stand against it. If you have a vice with gambling, don't let that gambling thing control you and and take you over. If you have a vain spirit and you like taking selfies all the time and you're into your, don't let it happen. All right? Say no. I refuse it. That's standing firm. That's saying, I'm not going to let this happen to me anymore. All right? If you had bad spending habits, don't let it happen anymore. If you have a mouth that mouths off against your spouse all the time and you're yelling at people all the time, don't let it happen anymore. Stand firm or else you'll be burdened by a yoke of slavery. So again, to be free, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight. We all have our weaknesses, but I want to give you five things this morning that you need to know about fighting spiritually, about fighting mentally, because we have mental battles, don't you? Don't you have struggles that goes on in your mind and you wish your mind would just shut off and you could stop thinking at night? That's a mental, the battlefield of the mind as a book was written about, all right? And so it's time to fight the spiritual battles. It's time to fight the mental battles. It's time to fight the life battles. It's time to fight for your marriage. It's time to fight for your kids. It's time to fight for your community And say, I'm not going to give up. I want to live a free life. And I want those around me to live a free life as well. So five things that you need to know about these types of fights. All right. The first one is we must identify the correct enemy. we got to figure out really who the enemy is. See, if you're fighting the wrong enemy, we might win the wrong battle. (laughs) I heard a guy say once in, in reference to his wife. He and his wife would get into fights, and he says, one day the Lord showed me, you know what? It's not good to always be right. (laughs) Sometimes it's good to just let yourself be wrong and let her be right. (laughs) And uh, that's the truth. If you're fighting the wrong battles or fighting the wrong enemies, you you might win the wrong battle. You might end up divorced and right. (laughs) I'd rather end up wrong and stay married, wouldn't you? All right, so we got we to gotta figure out who the, right, who the enemies are. So well-known scripture, if, if you read your Bibles, if you don't read your Bibles, don't worry about it. Listen to it. I'll read it to you. 2 Corinthians 10.3, all the way through verse 6, well-known. It says, for though we live in the world, you and I, we live here. We're going to go to Walmart and get this and go to school, go to work, what have you. Even though we live in this world, we don't fight the way this world fights. We don't wage war the way this world wages war. Furthermore, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They're different. They're dealt with differently. On the contrary, these weapons that we're talking about, these divine, they have divine power 
And much of the time in the New Testament, when the word power is used, it comes from the Greek word, I'm going to mispronounce it, but dunamis, which which translates into the word dynamite, a military tool, (laughs) a missile, a bomb, something that explodes, that kind of power, all right? It says, these weapons that you have have dynamite power, spiritual power, and they can demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? That's a lie that you build up in your head that you believe, and it keeps you pushed down. It oppresses you. So a little kid might be told when they're young, you're not going to mount to hill of beans. And that word keeps going through their mind over, and it's a lie because they can amount to far more than a hill of beans. All right? They can amount to the president of the United States, but because they were lied to and they believe that lie, they are held down for the rest of their lives. That's a stronghold, all right? God has given us weapons to blow those kind of strongholds off of ourselves and off of others so that we can reach that potential that God has for us. Isn't that encouraging? He's given us power, dynamite power, to demolish these lies that we believe. So what do we do? We demolish arguments and false pretensions or every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything that says that God doesn't exist is, some, is our enemy. <laughs> Anything that tells us God doesn't exist, doesn't love us, doesn't care, that's our enemy. And so anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, what do we do? We take captive every thought and make it obedient unto Christ. Who is Christ? Truth. Jesus is the truth. So we take all of our thoughts and we bring them unto control or control under the truth so that the lies don't have any more power. All right. And in verse six, we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So who are enemies as displayed in these in these scriptures here? Arguments, pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. That's our enemy, not people. People are not your enemy, even mean people, even vicious people, even ugly people. They're not our enemies. What are enemies? Arguments, pretensions, thoughts and disobedience. Those are our enemies. All right. So I, I, wanna, I want us to go through some very good examples that hopefully all of us can identify with. Here's one. We don't fight people, I've already said this, who make us mad. Now think of somebody who made you mad recently. Don't say their name and don't get a mean look on your face when you're thinking of them either. All right? But think of a person who made you mad recently and remind yourself they're not my enemy. <laughs> Even if it's somebody who's close to you. That's not my enemy. You know what my enemy is? The anger that's inside of me right now. That's my enemy. Now I've picked the right enemy. Now I can start attacking the right enemy and defusing the situation between the person that I'm angry with, that hurt me, that did me wrong. And you know how I'm going to beat anger? I'm going to beat it with God's love. That's how I'm going to do it. Person's not the problem. The anger's the problem. Here's my weapon, love. I slice anger's head off, and now I am set free. Do you see? It's a lot easier than than what we make it out to be. But the enemy, enemy being Satan, comes in, and he tries to get you all against working against each other, against someone else, when the reality is the enemy is inside of me. That's where the problem is. Let me give you another example. We don't fight situations that make us discouraged. 
It's not the situation, the complicated situation that's the enemy. It's the discouragement that I get as a result of the situation. That's the enemy. And so I fight my own discouragement with the courage and confidence that God gives me. I become a God-confident person, not a self-confident person. You see, when I'm confident in God, I can blow discouragement right out of my life. And I've been, this one I've been practicing. This week, I saw all these things I needed to do, all these things my poor wife needed to do, my kids needed to do. Sarah was graduating. We were moving a shed that we, thank goodness, we got rid of our shed, all right? The church shed that stores a bunch of junk, all right? We got rid of it. Nobody knows this. I'm, I, I know it, though. But we got rid of that thing. We had Sarah's graduation. I'm working. I'm trying to get ready for this morning. And I remember standing in my driveway just kind of like dazed. <laughs> like, how are we going to do all of this? You know, i got to sleep a couple hours at night. And you know what? I, I thought about this thought right here. This, my enemy is not all of the busyness around me. My enemy is the discouragement and the overwhelmed. Do you ever feel overwhelmed? Like, I can't take it. All right? You feel that way? That's your enemy. And you say, get away from me, discouragement. It's not my situation. It's my discouragement. So I take on the confidence of God in the midst of my situation, and I kick discouragement right out of my life. That's the enemy. All right? Look at this. We don't fight to control our environment. I like to ask this. How many of you are control freaks? All right, you're a control freak. I'm a freak. You're a freak. I mean, all right, we're control freaks. You know what? And so what happens when our environment can't be controlled? We worry. It's the first thing that goes on. We start worrying. Well, they, the problem is not your environment that you can't control. The problem is the worry that's going on inside of you. You've identified your enemy, and you come after your enemy. In this case, you come after it with trusting in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord with all my heart, I won't lean to my own understanding. All my ways, I'm going to acknowledge my God, and he's going to blaze a path for me. All right? The enemy is the worry, not the situation, not the environment I'm trying to control. Listen to this. You don't attack your addiction head on. Somebody says, I drank last night and last week and last year, and, and I can't stop drinking. Or I can't stop taking drugs. Your addiction is not something you're going to fight. <laughs> That's not your enemy, believe it or not. It's the condemnation that comes with falling over and over and over again. And so you kick that condemnation every time you slip and fall. You kick that condemnation right out of you. And you say, you know, if you're a believer in Jesus, let's take someone who said, Jesus, come into my life. You're a Christian, but you keep falling into addiction. You say, I'm not going to fight my addiction anymore head on. I'm going to fight the condemnation that's associated with my addiction. And where did I get that from? You say, where does that come from? You know where that comes from? Romans 8. Romans 7 and 8 that says someone who keeps tripping and falling, tripping and falling, getting back up again. You know how they're going to win? When condemnation is kicked in their life. And all of a sudden they're free from condemnation. When you're free from condemnation, you are free from your sin. Believe it or not. All right? So addiction is not so much the enemy. It's the condemnation associated with it. Listen to this. You don't fight your compulsive habits I'm not going to ask you how many of you are OCD, but I guarantee you there's a handful of us in here that are 
compulsive. We have compulsive behaviors that we can't get rid of. You know what? Your enemy is not your compulsive behavior. Your enemy is the striving inside of you, the constant striving to, to feel okay about yourself. And the enemy plays on that if you're not careful. And so stop striving and rest peacefully in the Lord. That's where that scripture comes. Stop striving and know that I am God. That scripture was written to a compulsive person. A compulsive person. And here's the last one that I'll give you, just some examples. Stop fighting your insecurities, your lack of self-worth. Maybe you've gone through a separation, and the separation made you feel like a lesser person. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Don't fight your insecurities. Don't fight your your poor self-image. You know what you need? You need to believe in your unshakable identity in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's your weapon. Your enemy is your unbelief. It's not your poor self-image. It's the unbelief in God, quite frankly. And so we fight unbelief, and we begin to believe, I am who I am because Jesus made me who I am. And I'm standing in the identity that Jesus gave me. So if you put all of this together and look at Romans 12, 21, it says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. All right? Overcome evil. Figure out what the true evil is. It's not the person. It's not the situation. It's, in fact, the emotions, the the feelings, the thoughts, the reactions that we have of fear and worry, condemnation, unbelief. Those are our enemies. And by the way, when you pick up your paper of what you need to read this week, if you don't have a devotional life, this will help you know to read where to read in the Bible. And, and it asks you on Monday. That's tomorrow, by the way, Memorial Day. Who's going to read their Bible tomorrow? I hope everybody. All right? Um, when you get up tomorrow and you read these couple of scriptures, I challenge you, find out what your enemy is. Read the scriptures and, and start realizing it's not a person. My enemy's inside of me, and I need to give it a name. All right? So we're going to do that tomorrow morning. I hope all of us do that. All right. So that's number one. Identify the correct enemy. Number two of these five items is the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Where did I get that from? I get that from Second Chronicles 2015. And this, this person spoke to King, King Jehoshaphat when, when uh, the, Jerusalem was being besieged. Do you know what besieged means? When armies, enemy armies were coming all around it, cutting off supply and support to the city and its inhabitants. And I believe it was a prophet that stood up and said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. It's not yours, it's the Lord's. And kind of to put this a little bit more into perspective, there's another king, his name was Saul, and he was talking to David. Now, David was to become a king in the future. At this point, he wasn't quite king. And King Saul told David, you fight the Lord's battles. I want you to let that sink in for a second. You fight the Lord's battles. Whose battle is it? Is it my battle of addiction or is it God's battle of my addiction? It's God's battle. It's the Lord's battle. 
That takes a lot of pressure off whenever you start thinking. I'm not fighting my life fight with worry. God's fighting my life's battle with worry. It's his battle. I'm not getting up every morning stressed out about my business and my finances. That's God's battle. I'm not getting up every morning or going to bed every night fighting lust. That's God's battle. What does that mean? God himself has declared war on your enemy. You're not the one declaring war on your enemy. God has already declared war on that which is beating you. He's about to beat the pulp out of your enemies. It's his battle. And you're just along on the sidelines to watch him win for you. It's his battle. You know what? If the United States were to go you know, fight some war wherever, I'm just a soldier in the battle. I'm not the president. I didn't declare war. I'm just fighting the president's battles. That's what you're doing for God. This isn't all on your shoulders. This is on God's shoulders, and you're there to work with him and be victorious with him. Does that make sense to everybody? It's God's battle. All right. That means it's God's agenda to beat that which is beating you. It's God's agenda to beat that which is beating the ones that you love as well. Can you think of somebody that you're worried about right now that you're praying for? God's already declared war on that enemy for you. And all you're doing is coming alongside with God and say, go, God, go, God, you do it, God. You win, God. It means that you're not leading the charge and the fight for your life. God has already declared war on your enemies, and he's going to rain down terror on them. How about that? He's going to rain down terror on your enemies. All right? You need to be looking up. The Bible says, you know, Abraham, he was looking down at what Lot had gotten, and you know what God told him? He said, look up, Abraham. Look up. And Christina was telling us this on Wednesday night. She was pacing the floor. She was praying, and she said, I just kept looking up. I just kept looking up. So when you're tired, when you're beat down, look up because your redemption is drawing nigh. That means it's drawing close. Exodus 14, 14, I love this one. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord is fighting for you. So we join forces with God. Now, at times, God will say, go fight. It's time to go fight. But you know what? I'm out in front of you in Exodus 17, 9. Moses said to Joshua, hey, go choose some men and go out and fight those Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. The story goes like this. Moses got up on this hill, and Moses is already 80 some odd years old. How many of you are 80 or more? All right. Can you imagine standing on the hill with a staff like this while all those people below are fighting you? You're holding up a staff. Finally, he got tired, and he got two men, one to hold one elbow up and the other to hold the other elbow up, and the war was won, all right? God tells you to go fight, but just know it's his battle that you're fighting and not your own. Number three, we must let God lead our spiritual campaigns. What's a campaign? Well, it's a military offensive and, but we've got to let God start leading those instead of us leading ourselves, all right? We don't go out and just start fighting something. We wait and say, God, how do you want this fought? What do you, what do you, how are you going to lead? What do you want me to do? And so in Joshua 5.13, it's interesting. Joshua had just been told by God, every place where you put your foot, I'm going to give it to you. 
He said, only meditate on the, on the law of the Lord. Don't let it depart from your lips. Meditate on it day and night. But everywhere you go, be strong, be courageous. I'm going to give it to you. And you know what happened next? He walks up to the Jordan River. He tells the priests who are carrying the ark, just start walking right into the water because it's going to part. Sure enough, their sandals hit the water. Boom. The, the water parts. Joshua is getting stronger with it. Wow, did you just see that? Holy cow. I mean, these guys just put their sandals. The water holds up. All of Israel, over 2 million people, crossed the Jordan into the promised land. Waited for now over 40 years. Man, Joshua's getting stronger and stronger. And then he, he sees that, you know, a couple of verses later, um, it, it says the reproach of Egypt was rolled back from the Israelites. They no longer had a slave mentality. He saw men starting being men. He saw families starting being strong. They were behind him 100%. So he's walking around. He's getting, man, he's getting stronger and stronger. He walks out into the plains of Jericho before they're about to attack Jericho. Remember that story where they march around the city and the walls collapse? It hadn't happened yet. He walks out and he's standing there. He's everywhere I put my foot, it's going to be mine. Then he sees a man standing there in the plains of Jericho. So he walks up to the man. He says, are you for us? Are you against us? The man looks at him. He says, neither. But as the commander of the armies of the Lord, I've now come. Joshua, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. All right? Let me tell you what. Joshua learned that day, God's who I'm following. I'm not going in my own strength. I'm not going in my own power. I'm not going because he's told me to be strong. I'm going because I'm following the commander of the armies of the Lord. And that's how we need to be. The battles we're fighting, don't go fight them yet. Spend some time on your knees and say, God, how do you want me to win this battle? What's the strategy? Because if you read any of the Bible, you find out kings would pray and God would give them a strategy to win the victory. Sometimes it was an offensive straight up to the city gates. Sometimes it was a rue where they came up and they pretended like they were going to attack and the armies came out of the gates and people were behind the city and then they'd come in and burn the city. God has a plan for you to win every single battle and every single plan is different. So stop banging your head against the same wall and doing it the same way over and over again. God has a plan. He wants you to listen to his plan and know what it is. Let God lead your battle. I love this. In Romans 8, 13, kind of says the same thing, 8, 13 and 14. This has been a verse I've liked. I love this verse. I just don't understand it. It sounds cool, but I don't really totally get it. It says, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But listen to this. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. What? How can I put to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit? What does that mean anyways? How does that work? If I knew how to do that, I would do it. I'd be putting to death the misdeeds of the body all the time. But I don't know how to do that with the Spirit. How does that work? Well, dummy me, I never read the next verse, and it tells you how to do it. All right? So that's really neat. When you read the Bible, never ever just take a scripture, read the scriptures before, read the scripture. That's called reading it in context. All right, verse four, it says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And another version said, those who allow themselves to be led by the Spirit of God. See, every morning we need to get up. And I kind of learned this from Sister Kay. Holy Spirit, 
what do you want to do today? Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? Kate told me this. She said, I talk to the Holy Spirit all the time. Did you know the Holy Spirit is not an it? The Holy Spirit is a him. It's a person, the trinity of, of, of God. This is God giving us his very spirit. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. How's that possible? He's given you his Holy Spirit. And if you open up your heart to Jesus, he comes in. His Holy Spirit comes into you. So he's not just with you. He's inside of you. That's exciting news. So you can have that conversation, not talking to God 30 billion miles away from us in heaven. All right, he's probably farther than that. <laughs> I'm talking to God inside of me. I'm having a personal conversation. Holy Spirit, how am I going to win this battle with worry? You know, God, every morning I wake up worried. Holy Spirit, show me how to win over worry, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You pray that prayer, Jesus is going to show you how to win. All right? God, every day I wake up, I look in the mirror, and I don't like what I see. You know that ex-husband of mine told me that I wasn't worth anything, and I don't feel worth anything. Show me, God, how to overcome this lack of self-worth, this unbelief, Lord. Amen. You pray that prayer, God's going to show you how to win the victory. This is one that it's just come to me. I'm just like realizing this, and I'm starting to pray this way. I prayed this way this week about somebody, and God gave me an answer almost immediately. Here's how you need to pray. Here's how you need to pray, all right? So, again, in order, uh, in order to win, in order to fight for freedom and win, we need to have God out leading our spiritual campaigns. When we do that, by the Spirit, will put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Number four. Number four comes before number five. Did you know that? That means there's only two to go. We're almost there. Thanks, David. Man, he was clapping for me. All right, here's this. Number four is know your weapons. Know your weapons. We know our enemy, but we got to know our weapons. And let me give you some weapons that you can fight with, that you can start with as soon as you walk out that door, you can fight with these weapons. The first one is repentance. Repentance is probably one of the most powerful weapons ever given by God to mankind, is repentance, is to admit, I am wrong. I am wrong, and Jesus, you are right. You know the prideful person can't say they're wrong? If they weren't prideful, they could admit it. But all of us have some level of pride. Every single one of us have pride. And if we will, the person who says, I don't have anything to repent of, they have a lot to repent of. All right? A lot. So if you say right now, I have no idea what you're talking about, Steve. I, have, I don't know what I would repent of. Ask God, and he will show you a mountain load of things you need to repent of. There's this guy in our church. I mentioned this last Sunday, Billy, who, who passed away. Uh, he asked God, God, show me what's in my heart. And he said, I didn't like what I saw. <laughs> Ask God. Ask God what's in your heart. He'll show you, and you'll have something to repent of. But repentance is powerful. 2 Timothy 2.24. Listen to the power of repentance. It says, in the hope that God has granted them, repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth. See, if you, until you repent, you can't know the truth. But if you repent... You will start knowing the truth, and then the Bible says the truth will set you free. In verse 26, and they have come, and that they come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. See, if you repent, you escape the trap of the devil. 
powerful. You, you, I tried this this week. If you say, I don't know what to repent of, say, God, I just repent of everything. <laughs> and you know what? The truth will start being revealed to you. Oh, I use my mouth too much. Oh, I shout at my kids too much. Oh, I, you know, I don't keep a clean enough house for my family. I wish, you know, all of those weird, small little things that you don't think mean much, they mean a lot. The things that we think don't mean much to God mean a lot to God. The things that we think mean a lot to God don't mean much to God. <laughs> so I'm telling you, repentance is powerful. Acts 11:18 it says, When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, that's the non-Jewish people, God has granted repentance that leads to life. See, if you repent, you start experiencing eternal life. You start experiencing joy, power, authority in your life. Weapon number two, the name of Jesus. Just a couple of scriptures. I'll, I'll read the rest of these fairly quickly. Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you can be saved. The name of Jesus is powerful weapon. Wait, how did, what does that look like? Well, if I'm praying for somebody, I say, in the name of Jesus. That means in his stead. I pray for this person to be totally freed from whatever. Pray in the name of Jesus. And David, when he attacked the Philistine Goliath, he said, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And actually it says, I'm coming to you. The, the true Greek way this reads, I'm coming to you. And that, that word come means I'm coming into you. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm gonna come against you and I'm gonna get, I'm, I'm aggressively coming at you to the extent I'm coming into your territory and I'm taking it away from you. That's what it means. And how did he do it? He said, in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's powerful. The name of Jesus, the word of God is another weapon. In First Roman, in, <laughs> Romans, in Romans 1.16, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God. And in Ephesians 6.17, he says, take up the helmet of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We find that worship is another weapon. And that I won't give you all the scriptures here. You can read them because I included it on the reading sheet. But Acts 16, 25 talks about Paul and Silas. They'd been beaten and they were sitting there in stocks and chains and, and closed, uh, enclosed in a jail. They started singing praises to God. It's worship. They started singing praises to God. And what happened? An earthquake happened. And the chains, the Bible says the chains fell off of every single person in the jail. And every jail house opened, or excuse me, jail door opened. And they were completely set free from worshiping God. When you're down, turn on some Christian music and start worshiping the Lord. And you will be set free right there on the spot. And the last one, not the last one, it's just one of the ones I mentioned here is the blood of Jesus. This has been impacting me. I never have understood how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Never, under, never understood. But as I read these scriptures, which you can get in the reading list, it's powerful. And I, I always, I mentioned this before, it's dangerous because when you're giving a message, I may give a story too many times and then you zone out on me. But I'll give this to you. Um, in, in Korea, in Yongyu Cho's church, which is the biggest church in the world, all right, back when it was in its just growth period of exponential growth. They would put all their people, they were in wheelchairs and sick kind of in the middle down there, and, and, and they would sing, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. 
And all these Koreans are packed in like this, shoulder. There's a guy that told me he saw this happen, all right? I'm not making this up. He's, he was a service member. He'd gone through, I think it was the Korean War, and his, he was, his mind, he's, he had PTSD. He was messed up. His emotions were raw because he'd seen his buddies killed. And he, so he went to this, this church in Seoul, Korea, and he saw these people packed in like sardines. And all they could do was raise their hands like this because they were so packed in. And they'd say, there's power in the blood. Every time they'd say power in the blood, they'd raise their hands and point towards those sick people. And people would be jumping out of wheelchairs and all over the place. The power of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Believe the power of the blood of Jesus. It ushers us, some of these scriptures, it ushers us into the most holy place. It forgives our sins. It justifies us. What is justified? It makes us as if we've never done anything wrong. The blood of Jesus. That's why we have crosses. We remember Jesus' blood that was shed for my sins. He did it for me. I am not even going to say he did it for you. He did it for me. This is a personal thing, and you can say the same thing. But number five, the best way to fight spiritually is to grow spiritually. The best way you can fight, when you're in your mental state of oppression, depression, you're beat down, the way you fight is you grow. You go back to the Word of God. You feed yourself you learn something new, and you walk in that that day. You just grow. That's the way you fight most effectively. John 8.32, it says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth doesn't set you free. It's knowing the truth that sets you free. And that requires you to do some study. That requires you to get into church and listen to what's going on. And accept the truth that's offered you to, to try to understand it. In Galatians 4, 1 and 2, it says, I'm saying this. Uh, oh, this is, this is really interesting. I don't want to rush through this. What I'm saying to you is that as long as an heir, what's an heir? Somebody who's going to inherit, you know, a really rich kid. If he's two or three years old, they don't know that they're rich. They can't make decisions. They can't use their wealth to sway decision-making. They're underage. He says here, Paul, he says there's, they're no different than a slave. An heir that's underage is no different than a slave. That's tragic. So what does this underage person needs to do? They may ho- own the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So if you're a baby Christian, little, little be baby Christian, and the devil's coming after you and pounding you and pounding you and pounding you, you just need to grow. All right? Take the pounding, but keep growing. Keep growing. Someday you're going to outgrow the enemy, and you're going to be stronger than he is. Outgrow the enemy. What did Nehemiah do? He came in and saw, hey, this, this Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem has no walls. Let's build. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not talking about Trump right now, all right? But let's build this wall, all right? This wall city, all right? Let's build it so we can be strong against our enemy. Spend your time growing in the Lord. Spend your time growing in the Lord. So when the day of evil comes, you, you're, you're insulated from the attacks of the enemy. How do you grow? Go to church. Go to a good church. Go to a church that's, that you're getting something from, all right? Read your Bible and talk to God. 
Those are the three ways you're going to grow. Receive, receive, receive from God. Receive through his word. Receive through prayer and receive through joining with others in, in, um, in worship. All right. So-